The following cold open contains graphic descriptions of digital violence. Listener discretion is advised. Brad, I was very lucky this weekend and uh, had to go to urgent care. That doesn't sound lucky to me, but go on. Well, when you go to like, look, I was doing some sanding and I was sanding in a stupid way with Uh-oh. the power sander. Oh, no, I don't. I don't know if I want to hear the rest of this, but continue. I um, I'm OK. Everything's all right. fine. All right. Do you still have all your skin? No. Oh, do not boy. have all my skin, oh, man. <laughs> um, so I was sanding on the downhill side of the disc sander, which you're not supposed to do. You sand, you always sand on the uphill side. So you, when you, when you lose the, when something bites or you lose the grip, it rockets up instead of, uh, instead of jamming between your hand and the, and the grinder. Wait, and I'm sorry, hang on. What does it mean for something to bite? Well, like, you know, bite means it holds on more than you would expect it to. So it like, it like grabs it and then it gets wedged into the thing. And like, Ah. so I was sanding on the disc sander and the thing got stuck in the, in the guard at the bottom and my finger was between the guard and the disc. And, uh, I sanded into the nail bed. Oh boy. I don't know if we should start with the podcast like this. This is pretty horrifying. I think it's too late. We're already deep in. I'll put a content warning before maybe. (laughs) Seriously. I've been playing so much Callisto Protocol and we're streaming that new Dark Pictures, which is basically Saw, that I feel like I am kind of, uh, I'm I'm pretty inured to gore at the moment. Callisto Protocol is gross. Dude, I I saw a death animation last night that I had not seen before. I guess it's because I just hit a new type of enemy. Like well, that, the thing that happens to your friend in the first five minutes was like, ah, this is too much for me. I don't want to play this game anymore. They they not only gouge his eyes out, no. but like most of the eye socket. There's like I, mm, I shouldn't get into it. So I'm sorry. So anyway, on my body horror front, um, I oh, <laughs> you just scratch your nose with the offending finger. And now I see. Here's the thing. The the scratching side. No problem. Uh-huh. The other side, really hurty all the time. There's a significant bandage on the tip of your finger. Look, I went to the, I, I cleaned it. I like, it was one of those ones where I walked, where I did it. And I was like, oh, this is going to be bad. And I looked at it. I was like, yep, that's bad. Mm. And then I walked into the, uh, like I turned off the thing and I walked into the, into the kitchen and I just took a couple of Advil and then I turned on the sink and rinsed it out in the sink and then poured some hydrogen peroxide on it. And then put a little neosporin, the pain relief neosporin on it because it didn't. But by this point, it still hadn't started hurting yet. And I was like, that's really not good mm-hmm. when it doesn't hurt for this long. Yeah, that's probably a bad sign. Yeah, it's, it's when it's when the inflammation sets in. So I cleaned it all up. I finished cleaning. I cleaned up the mess that I'd made. I, I took put all the stuff up and then I was like, I think I'm going to go to urgent care. She was like, was it that bad? I was like, it's not great. You know, I went to urgent care and they looked at it and they were like, everything's going to grow back. You're going to be fine. It's going to hurt for a little bit. Um, but you're like, I'm not going to have a weird shaped fingernail or anything anymore. So I was okay. very lucky. You still have fingernail, though. I have about two thirds of a fingernail. OK, that's uh, descriptive. I'm going to go ahead and tell you grinding into the nail bed does not feel good. I would mm. advise against it to anybody yeah. who considers trying that. Yeah. You ever lost an entire fingernail? No. Uh, toenail. I caught when I was a kid, I caught a toenail under a, you know, remember how mechanical doors used to open it? They used to just put mechanical flippers on doors that used to open in and out. And I was walking toward one that had the pad that went out and my toe went under it. So I was wearing flops and oh boy, whoop, popped it right off. Oh, I'm having flashbacks to the time I lost a thumbnail. Ow. How'd in, you lose a thumbnail in a heavy industrial ish metal door <laughs> at the screen printing shop I used to work at. Uh, if we still have any listeners after this, we have a real good episode planned this week. Have a good podcast.
Welcome to Brad and Will Made a Tech Pod. I'm Will. I'm Brad. Good morning, Brad. Good morning. Good morning. I, yes, I'm fully awake after that intro. So I had to get a tetanus shot out of all that. And oh, as oh, a that's result, why the tetanus shot. Okay. My whole left side has been hurdy and stiff for the last like three days. And it's finally to the point that like my shoulder moves and it doesn't hurt anymore. So that's pretty, pretty exciting. Just don't use power tools. That's, you know, you know maybe, we, maybe we need to make some robots to use the power tools for us. We need tools to use our tools. It, look, if I hadn't been a dumbass, I would have been fine. Like I, I literally, I did something stupid. I knew I was making a mistake when I did it and I immediately paid the price. Oh, shit so, happens, you know, I've got, I've got a, I've got a family member that lost a whole finger to a, I think it was a circular saw, some kind of table saw. Oh shit. Yeah. Table saw. I'll get you. Yeah. The, um, the, uh, the thing to, the thing that is nice when you go to the urgent care place and you have done something like usually when I've gone to urgent care, it's cause something like, I don't want to go to the emergency room or I've got like a cold and can't get into my normal doctor or flu or something. I want to get like, like like some sort of, you know, whatever. Anyway, the urgent care people are really good. And um, they, when you come in with a wound like this, they're like, hey, man, you should be more careful. Did you just get this tool? Is this a new thing? Wait, or, do they really admonish you? No, they were, no, they were being kind. They were like, hey, I, I hope we don't see you again for this one because, you know, be more careful next time. Sounds a little scoldy to me. I don't know. Look, as they were pouring, they poured a quart of hydrogen peroxide onto my finger to clean it. So, yeah. Anyway, they're like, well, you think this stuff grows on trees? I mean, it kind of it's kind of easy to anyway. Oh, man, I don't even want to think about urgent care. I'm, I'm in the middle of an insurance transition. Oh, yeah. No, my, you should not leave the house. My, my, well, no, I have insurance. My Cobra ran out last month after mm-hmm. 18 months of having the same insurance I had uh, as I, when I was last employed. Yeah. And I'm getting on different insurance in January, mm-hmm. but, but this gaping hole, this gaping December shaped hole in my insurance coverage was just staring me in the face. So did you get something? I, I got, I got what basically one month of insurance off of the exchange. Oh yeah. There is not an urgent care in San Francisco that I can go to with this insurance. Well, you can go, you just have to I pay can. out a network. Well, the, the, the policy says zero urgent care coverage. Oh, then period, you just go to the period. ER. Good it's, luck. It's it's an HMO. Yeah, it's an HMO. Oh. The closest urgent care I can go to is about 90 minutes away by. That's not that's not as urgent as I would like. By the travel means that I am capable of. It's way out in the East Bay. Uh, Insurance. Um, Hello. Yeah, America sucks for don't don't get sick in America. That's no, the lesson. No, don't don't not be rich in America is basically the only advice that actually I, I, I work with somebody who's from Brazil and she told a story about the first time her family, like when her family members come visit and they've never been here before. They're like, is it really, is the healthcare thing really as bad as everybody says it is? And I'm like, yeah, she's like, pay for the, pay for the travel insurance. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. Uh, this week we're going to talk about storage, Brad. It's one of our storage. favorite topics. Yeah, we talk a lot about storage. I promise this is not just another NASA episode. Like no. NASA's will be referenced at points, but this is—it's kind of. I think we describe this more as sort of a digital organization, like storage organization type of episode. Yeah. So um, about a week and a half ago, I built a new PC um, on a stream, actually, with with our friends from PC World, Gordon and Adam. Uh, you can uh, we'll post the URL in the show notes if I remember to put it in there, and. Um, it's the first time I'm starting from scratch with a new PC in a really long time. Like the last probably 10 years I've been building off of the same, like there's, I've been ship of Theseusing uh, a computer, right? Like, so when I, when I was looking at the old PC, like there's, there's some SSDs in there that are from like 2014, probably That's so it? five, 500 Come gigabyte. What? Come on, man. Come on, man. What? 
That's that's well, it. Well, so I mean, I upgraded. <laughs> there was a there was a spinning disk at one point that was two terabytes that became a four terabyte that became an eight terabyte drive. Right. Fair. I'm I'm kind of giving you a hard time, but. Yeah, the case I, I just upgraded last summer to the H510, which I've caught endless grief for. I've got, oh, storage spaces doesn't tell you how big these disks are. I've got an S, a couple of SSDs in here from like 2010, 11, 12-ish era. Oh, wow. But anyway, we'll get to so, it. So anything anything under 512 gigs, I've transitioned to either the kiddo's computer or the streaming PC. Or like one of them I used as the cache in the FreeNAS drive for a long time. So, uh, yeah, all the small SSDs went away. Like anything that was less than one war zone in size. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Look, can we just, can we abbreviate, abbreviate that to WZ? Yeah. Look, we, we, so we released mod uh, on an unrelated note. We released, um, steam workshop support for the Anacrusis this week. Ooh. Uh, and there's a bunch of good, good, terrible stuff in the workshop store. Uh, for the game now right but our mod tools originally were like 400 gigs you know or or like 1.5 uh 1.5 war zones yes um, <laughs> and now now we're down to 0.2 war zones because we, okay. we were able to delete some stuff you know move some stuff out of the archive so point, um 0.2 yeah. wz's just remember that if it's capital z it's zeitz if it's a lowercase z it's zits yeah of course of course um, so anyway, yeah, the, the, so we use war zones as a, as an informal measure of size in Wait, our, in our do you shop. Actually, do you actually do that? This is I not do something because I think just, it's funny. This is not just a goofy made up for this podcast. You are, are you actually book. telling people on your team, this build is it, three and a half WZs. It was the joke I made when one of our engineers was like, Hey, I, I cut the mod tools down from 380 gigs to 50 gigs. And I was like, hell yeah, Wait. it's your, you're a point five point two five war zones now. Gigs? A terabytes. Sorry. Wait, those. No, okay. no, no. Gigs, gigs, wow, gigs, those gigs. Are, those are big mod tools. Well, the so on Unreal, you have to, you, so on source, you can pull stuff from the, from the files that are on attached to the game when you're doing mod tools with source games Unreal, you can't do that because they encrypt the files by default. So you have to distribute, like if we want to distribute assets from the game with the mod tools, we can't point the mod tools at the game to pull the assets out. We have to actually send they, It's not just because they're encrypted, they get baked down and there's all sorts of other stuff that happens. So the upshot is we have to distribute the source art for anything we want people to be able to build with. In addition to the, like the code environment, okay. and all that stuff. That makes way more sense. Yeah, it's it's look, Unreal is getting they're paying attention. They're they're getting better at how this works. So and it's and, it, and it's complicated and not that many games use it. So anyway. I don't remember where that was a huge digression. <laughs> Sorry, uh, yes, I oh. your 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 new PC kind of occasioned this episode because you've been kind of setting up storage from scratch. I, on the other hand, have got what three plus years on this Windows install. So I've got some cruft. But yeah, I guess I guess we thought we would just sort of talk about like how we organize things and touch on cloud services we're using and backup strategies and you name it. Yeah, that that that's it. Like I as I was sitting here building this machine out, I was like I haven't actually every machine I built for the last, you know, 10 years has had a stuff from C folder on it that was the old stuff from C like the old C drive drug into the new drive and and you know it's it, like the, those files go down those folders go down like four or five levels depending on how how many pcs it's been um the so so the point of this is it's a clean start 
and I kind of wanted to talk, I, I thought it was worth talking about and being thoughtful about rather than just doing the same thing I normally do, which is making a whole massive mishmash of completely unorganized files uh, on the entire thing. So that's where we're at. Mm. Um, uh, the, the PC, I have a, uh, they, they put a, when PC World spec this out, they put a bunch of SSDs in it, Brad. I, I don't know what else to say here other than I'm very jealous when I heard not only the amount of storage, but the type of storage that they put into that thing for you. I became unreasonably jealous. Go on. So the machine has eight terabytes of SSDs and I arranged them. I put the fast one as the C drive. And then hang I, on. Hang yeah, on. I have hi. to stop you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Hi. I think I think by any reasonable objective definition, they are all fast. Oh, look, Could you, let's okay. talk about what the drives are. Uh, the drives are, uh, hold on. Let me open up the parts list. So I get the you, part names, right? You put windows on the faster drive, I think is, yeah, that's is what you're saying. I put windows They're They're all, they're SK Hynix or solid data, all of them. Um, and let's see, we've got, uh, a solid P44 pro two terabyte, which is the main system drive. And then the other three are SK Hynix Platinum P41 two terabytes. Okay, but the the bus is the is the key thing here. Are they're all PCIe four? Right? They're all PCIe four. They're all connected PCIe four buses. There's actually right. a couple of PCIe five slots in this motherboard. So in the future, conceivably, I can get something that's even faster. Although, like I think we're reaching a point of diminishing returns on yeah. flash drive I, to I, bus speed. Yeah. I think we got there a long time ago for a lot of stuff, right? Like uh, direct storage, notwithstanding, which still isn't really out there, right? There aren't really mm -hmm. like at no. some point that will truly matter for drive speed. But like, I feel like even when we were still on SATA SSDs, you were seeing benchmarks from people saying like, yeah, like moving, moving your Windows install to an NVMe drive doesn't really do much for you. Like real, real world, there's really not much difference. So I'm going to tell you that that's probably changed in the time since like at, at the time it was probably true because the the flash configurations and the flash controllers were probably not performant enough to, to, to use the extra bandwidth. Now it's, it's, it is, it is like, I can launch Photoshop in less than five seconds on this machine. So you're feeling it now. I'm feeling it. It I'm boots, it boots so fast, Brad, that I can't, there's no amount of me pressing the go into the BIOS key that can get me into the BIOS. Yeah. Like wow. the only way I can That's... get into the BIOS is to go and either press the button on the motherboard when I'm booting it or, um, uh, use the Windows Advanced Startup stuff. The uh, the ASUS board I just got has a setting for you can set like a timeout on the the post screen. So I, I could just, do that. I jacked that all the way up so I would actually have time. They they removed the press delete to enter menu prompt. Like this board yeah. doesn't tell you what to do to get into. Also, I know it's not a BIOS anymore. It's UEFI, but it's I'm UEFI gonna saying, BIOS. We keep saying BIOS. Uh, yeah, you gotta. You have to know the secret incantation now to get into the BIOS on this board. Well, like I usually put a, I usually put um put some good art on the on the splash screen, and there's no time for it to display now. So okay, I've I have I've softly taken this position before, but I'm just gonna put my foot down now. Fuck a splash screen. I I don't see the splash screen. I just okay. go straight to the Windows logo. Okay, well that's yeah, fair. It's but nuts. I, it looks like a Mac. I, I look. It will never be a computer, a personal computer to me, unless there is a text mode post summary when you turn it on i've never seen that on my screen and I, on my like computer even what even 20 30 years ago no 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 i mean on this new computer oh, I've, never, machine, I've not seen okay. it one time okay okay yeah i i mean i'm even mad that you don't see the processor speed tick up and the memory <laughs> test 
and all so that stuff anymore. But one of the, one of the weird things, and I, we talked about this on the stream, but um, I think the 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 AMD boards now, the first time you power it up, to go through and check all the memory. Right. And if you don't, if you reboot, if you're like, hey, what's going on? It's not booting, and then restart, you can cause problems for yourself. So a lot of the motherboards mm-hmm. have stickers on them that say, hey, the first time this computer boots, it's going to take a minute. Don't don't you know turn it off or whatever. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, that's so that's the that's the drive configuration I have. I have two two terabytes in the C drive, and then I have a D drive that's the three other two terabyte drives, um, like striped together using the Windows drive configuration it's stuff. Storage storage spaces. storage spaces, yeah. So there's uh, stripes, no redundancy there. Stripes, no redundancy. It's all backed up, so it doesn't. I mean, it's not backed up as of today, but it will be backed up as of the end of this weekend. So, um, um to I mean, not to make this all about games, but are those drives fast enough? I mean, again, direct storage isn't really out there yet, but like, are those fast enough that that will be sufficient for? Oh yeah. That kind of thing. Oh man, that's so great. Should be. Yeah. Because, I mean, because like the thing I've been thinking about is ever since they announced that prior to, prior to storage mattering for games on PC, it was just like, oh, I'll put them on any old SSD, like whatever. Yeah. Now we're in a world where it's basically like the new consoles, right? You have a pretty high minimum threshold for drive speed to actually use this feature correctly. Yeah. And and so unless you have six terabytes of extremely fast storage like you, like you're going to be in the situation where you're like manually moving games that need the faster storage back and forth as you play them. Right. Well, I mean, I so I find I typically play like two or three games at most at a time. Right. So I'm I'm I usually I, you're a you, you're an unusual use case. Like I usually am playing like I play Fortnite on the reg. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I'm usually playing one other game that I may be playing on a stream. And then the other then there's one other game that I'm playing when I'm not playing stuff on streams right so wait do you not keep a huge steam install library oh yeah i keep a re- offensively large have, steam install i have 153 games installed in steam at the moment yeah i i look it took me about 10 minutes to uninstall all the games from the old pc when i moved it over to the stream stream side oh, that was see there are a zillion questions that i can't i could and probably will ask you as we talk through the stuff that i wouldn't have thought of until you mentioned it but do you, that's, that's this is one of them do you do the I'm just going to copy my Steam apps folder to a new PC and hope that it picks them all up. Thing. Don't bother anymore. No. Well, uh, okay. So I have done that in the past, as I think we all have. But I have I have gigabit Ethernet coming into the house and uh, or gigabit fiber coming into the house, and um, yeah, it's fine. I just yeah. I've I think only, I'm with you. I've only installed like like my install had gotten kind of crufty. So I have like probably 15 games installed right now, 10 games. I have like miles Morales and stuff that came out since then. And then I play half-life Deathmatch with some friends once a week. And I had Peniment cause I needed to play more of that and dark tide cause it came out and I wanted to check it out. And then a couple other things. So like, it's not, it's not an offensive it's, it's the stuff like I almost always have dead cells installed too. Cause I really like dead cells and it's often a game I'll pick up and just kind of, you know, poke at for sure. an hour or so here and here and there i've had i've had the same dota install sitting here for three plus years just looking at you when was last time you played brad how you clean uh, i've i fired it up on a stream three weeks ago or something oh wow that's dangerous for shits and giggles but oh boy somehow didn't really go back to it after that thankfully um so well so okay so anyway so the thought of the new storage scheme is the c drive is where stuff gets installed my main games, the things that I play on the moment to moment, like grounded in Fortnite right now. Right. Interesting. So, you, so you're putting games on your C drive. Is that because that's faster? Like for me, for me, I would always want to put the games on the giant bulk drive and keep keep the system drive free for system stuff. 
so I I on, on the old machine that had a spinning disk drive too. I would put the the I put games on the the spinning like I put the deep storage stuff on the spinning disk drive. Yeah, of course. But, but then I realized it was probably faster to just re-download them if I wanted to play them than it was to copy them off of the spinning disk drive onto an SSD. Um, the, the other thing on C is local caches of cloud storage, but yeah, I, I keep, I keep like Fortnite. Fortnite lives on the C drive, which I, I haven't actually benchmarked the windows disk spaces thing versus the striped versus the C drive. Theoretically, the windows disk spaces striped with three SSDs should be a little bit faster, I think. Um, but, but I haven't, I haven't actually poked at it to see, um, the, uh, Again, sorry, real quick. We should probably yeah. mention, I, I know we've talked about it before. Storage spaces is basically Windows is uh, software raid feature. Yeah. And and I did the software raid versus the hardware raid because um, the software raid is easier to remove stuff from. If I decide I want to swap, make one, like I wanted to hedge in case I wanted to pull one of those drives out and make a dedicated game drive if, if there was a performance problem. Yeah. Where would you get hardware raid from? Is it on your motherboard? Yeah. The motherboard will do hardware raid as well. Ugh. I, I don't think, I don't. I don't. Okay, I shouldn't. I, I don't work in enterprise storage, mm-hmm. much much as I like to pretend that I do. Like, are there any real use cases for hardware RAID these days? I don't see anything. If you have uh, spinning see, discs, yeah, this is this is the kind of thing where, well, no, even then, it's like ZFS or ButterFS or oh yeah yeah yeah. What I what I I don't. This is where we need somebody to like somebody who works in the space should write in and tell us. Uh, oh, they will. Whether there are still use cases for hardware RAID these days at all or not, but they're uptime related usually, right? I I don't know about that. Yeah. Um. Or, or I mean, there's performance reasons. Anyway, I don't. There used to be performance reasons. I don't know if there are. Yeah, anymore. yeah. I think that that may still yeah. be true. Uh. Anyway. Uh. Okay. So. Uh. The other thing that's on the C drive is local caches of cloud storage. So like the files that are, like I I have at this point I have Google Drive and Dropbox and stuff set to only sync the folders that I work in constantly. Like, for example, the Tech Pod folder and my Stray Bombay folder and stuff like that. Everything else lives online, but the the mirror, the you know, the cache of those off online fold files lives on the C drive. Okay, I've got multiple questions here. Okay, um, I guess the first one is: so, are you using the? I don't even know what it's called this month. Whatever Google application like makes your Google Drive like a system drive kind of thing. So that's or, only, or a special folder like Dropbox. That's only available if you have a um, a business account. Oh, they don't make that available to normal Gmail accounts. Luckily, we have a business account. And once you have a business account, you can download it and connect it to any Gmail account. Oh, which is a real choice. Interesting. So I don't think I'll install the Google Drive thing this time because it was mainly useful when I was doing a lot of video, a lot of work with video, an external video editor on the on the stream and uh, at Straight Bombay. Um, but we'll see. Maybe in the future. It, it's weird, though, because it shows up as a different drive. Like an actual lettered drive, lettered not like dri- a, yeah. like, I don't know what you call the Dropbox manifestation. I guess like it's like a special folder, I think is how they refer to that. Yeah. The Dropbox thing shows up. It's, it's just a folder in your, in your user folder. Uh, well, by yeah, I mean, in terms of the file system, that's right. I, I mean, like in the left side of file explorer, like it'll break out stuff like OneDrive and Dropbox as kind of its own entry. Yeah. Those are the, that's called the quick access bar. I think. Quick, okay. Um, the, the, the quick access bar might only be the thing at the yeah. very top. Yes, that's right. I'm, I'm looking at it now. Like, like those, those live at the same level as computer quote unquote, and the network in the, in the kind of windows hierarchy. Well, kind of, but, but, the, but what you actually can find OneDrive and both of those live underneath your, under yeah. C users, yes. your username. Yeah. They're as in, well. your, in your home directory I, for sure. I, um, 
like I really like the Dropbox model. I we use OneDrive for work because we're a Microsoft house, so I I have to engage with the OneDrive model as well. I accidentally put my de- desktop documents and downloads directories in a OneDrive, oh, no. and I've had oh, to I- un unjack that up. Oh, I thought. I generally have not had a big problem with OneDrive, especially the part where they just kind of give you a lot of storage for free. I just don't but, use it. But the the part where a lot of those home folder, uh, home, home, home directory directories automatically sync up in there unless you turn that off is not good. Well, and once you've turned it on, it's kind of hard to undo, it turns yeah. out. So yes, some of the OneDrive configuration is a bit confusing. The, the other thing I was going to ask you about this stuff is that you were talking about using selective sync for just kind of folders you're working with. Yeah. Do you have to... Is it is it intelligent enough to say, like, if you go in and try to access a file, it'll just sync it all? Or do you have to manually say, like, OK, pull down the cloud version of this folder now? Oh, yeah. Well, so with Dropbox and OneDrive, as soon as you access as like they, they, they still show up in your folders, in your folder hierarchy, in your file explorer, just like any other file. They just have a little cloud icon next to them that says they're not local. And as soon as you either click on them in file explorer or try to open them in like Photoshop or whatever application you're using, or even for example, like with Photoshop linked files where you open a template that has this link to multiple other files. As soon as Photoshop tries to access them in the background, it'll just pause for a second and download them. And then, then they're there. Does it, does it handle that? Sorry. Does it, does it handle that sync pretty gracefully? Like if you say, you say you need to pull down like tens of gigabytes to do whatever you're doing, like, does it say, Hey, we're getting your stuff or does it just kind of seize up? It depends. Dropbox just kind of seizes up. I think OneDrive pops up a little thing, a modal that says, hey, files download and it'll be a minute. Um, OK, but- I, I ask because I, so I, I am in the exact same boat as you. I use Dropbox, OneDrive, and I have three separate Google Drives that I use That's for different businesses. Too many Google Drives. And it's a lot. Well, the, on the other hand, it's nice to have things compartmented out when there are actual business things going on. I use folders for that. Um well, I mean, we're talking about literal <laughs> different companies. Yeah, also. no, I, I know, I know. Um, but uh, yeah, like managing all that stuff, and and I and I just let everything. Well, not Google Drive. I don't have those installed locally, but Dropbox and OneDrive just sync everything locally for simplicity's sake. But that does. I've got a hundred gigabytes of Dropbox space, so that kind of does get a little heavy when you let all of that just sit there. Well, you can set Dropbox to not sync and to keep everything in the cloud. So yeah, that's what that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. I, I I don't do that, and so like hearing you talk about how that works makes me think maybe I should. And like, I certainly don't need everything in my Dropbox available locally at all times. Yeah. So my strategy for that is the tech pod folder stays local all the time because we have like, we work with large files, right? We yeah, work with 600 megabyte audio files to, or, or bigger to be or, fair. Yeah. The, to be fair, the tech pod folder is a large chunk of my Dropbox space. Yeah. But. So, so that one stays big. Um, like on the straight bomb based off the marketing images folder, which is where all the Photoshop templates we use to generate all the thumbnails and all the steam and you know Microsoft store art and all that stuff where all those live, those also stay local because they're huge files. The stuff that's small or that I don't access very often stays offline. And it's really smart because once you once you um, like once you leave a a, if you set a folder level, it does everything south of, you know, downstream of it uh, with the same setting. Right. Um, And it'll I think eventually even Dropbox eventually if you like. So like I have a I have a folder with all my buddy icon, my avatars, the avatars I've used over the years. That one you can use something and then a few weeks later it'll it'll you know clear the space from your hard drive and it'll go back to being online only which is really nice is that comprehensive like you've actually kept all of those avatars in one place i wish i had thought to do that mine are scattered across 
who knows how many directories across different drives. I started doing it. Um, I must have started doing it around the time the PC and Mac. I started doing when Dropbox was relatively new when when Apple was doing the PC and Mac avatars because my AIM avatar at that time was was John Hodgman. If you if you still have your AIM avatar around, then that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I let's see. For a while, I did the Jerry Seinfeld with the churro in the Bill Gates ad, the bad Bill Gates ad. Mm-hmm. That was a classic. Um, um, there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch from of like one off jokes when we were at Whiskey. Yes, there's the Darth uh, created cubic blockhead of the tested blockheads that he made for me. That was that one special. Yeah, I've, uh, I have all of them, I guess. See, Gravatar was just way ahead of its time. Oh, man, I had to um, update my Gravatar the other day. What? Yeah, you can update them again. Uh, yeah. Automatic bought Gravatar. I, I, I was gonna, I was just about to say. I know somebody bought Gravatar. I I I set up my Gravatar like day two at Whiskey mm-hmm. for some reason. I think because everybody around there thought it was really stupid, which it was, but also kind of cool, which it was. Yeah, my Gravatar. That, that thing still shows up. I still to this day go out there and sign up for new services, and that same little Pac-Man hand grenade shows up as my avatar. Oh, see, my avatar was the tested blockhead with the tested sign on it, which is problematic given that I haven't worked there in like seven years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so, okay, so uh, cloud storage caches and then all the portable apps live in a folder under documents called portable apps. Just um, documents, ask documents, not not in one of those cloud. I didn't put No, I'm not putting them in one of the cloud things because because a lot of the stuff that I have portable apps of like fan control and open RGB and stuff like that is per machine. And I don't want to sync that yes, across. That makes sense. Uh, that even makes OBS, sense. but I don't do OBS in portable apps because yeah. OBS is kind of a shitty portable app. Yeah. I mean, I made separate directories in my home directory, but I do basically the same thing. I have two, I have, I have GUI and CLI for different Ooh. portable things depending on if they are GUI or CLI, but, but like spending so much time in BSD and Linux for the last few years as I have has really made me embrace the home directory philosophy. You see, and, and like, I'm, I'm happy that windows is because, you know, Mac OS is a literal Unix. So it's totally in that, uh, in that realm as well. And like windows has gotten closer. It's, they're definitely moving in that direction, but it's still, windows is still like infuriatingly inconsistent about what it does and does not keep in your home directory. Like the, the dream. And like, I, Yes, I, I spend a lot of time like reading forums, seeing people talk about Linux installs and stuff. But you'll see people saying like, yeah, I've had the same home directory for the last 15 years across numerous distros because you just move it over every time. And there's all your shit, like literally all your shit. Yeah. And Windows is nowhere near there yet. There's just still way too much stuff scattered across other parts of the C drive to make it truly portable. Well, and and like there's an uncomfortable there's an uncomfortable like. The one thing that was really nice about this time I installed Windows 11 because I installed it from scratch. And it was like, hey, do you want to copy your settings over from your other Windows machine and let you choose all the other Windows machines that are logged in under your account, which was nice. It ha- I haven't I haven't actually seen that dialogue before. I didn't want to do that, though. I Like I wanted I wanted a clean I wanted a fresh start. And then it still pulled some stuff over from like the OneDrive syncing and stuff like that. So it's it's a like it's not a perfect system. The The thing that I'm wondering is. Should I do something like in the past? I've done stupid things like make sim links from my other drives into that into my home folder. And I don't think I'm going to do that because it's almost always had some unintended consequences. Yeah. Yeah. I've thought about the same thing, like having this giant NAS. I was like, oh, if it's so my system drive is a it's like four years old. It's like a 512 gig. It's it's like a Samsung Evo. So it's like adequate for Windows, but it yeah. does get a little tight, you know, especially when I'm syncing all of my Dropbox there and stuff. So I was like, 
I also I also am a person who tends to throw large things on the desktop willy nilly and think about it later. Um, at some point I was like, oh, I could just what if I just transferred my desktop to the NAS and then I can have unlimited desktop space. Uh, but yeah, exactly the type of stuff you said, like there's always, there's always something that is going to break, even though that might be a supported feature. Yeah. Um, I mean, that that's it, right. Is, is windows handles sim links. So like it, 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 it usually handles, it respects the, so sim links, if people don't know are when in, in Linux or in NTFS, you can say, okay, this folder this folder isn't actually a folder on the hard drive. It's just a link to this other folder someplace else in the file structure. And you can do really stupid stuff like put a sim link to a folder above itself where you can make a recursive loop through the through the file structure that's going to cause real problems for you. It's not good. Yeah. Um, Windows also, I should I should mention Windows for those special folders like desktop downloads, uh, documents, stuff like that in yeah. your home directory. Like it actually at the, the shell level, at the Explorer level, you can just right click those and go to location. And it supports, you can literally just type a new path in there and like actually just move your desktop to another place through the shell. Yeah, that, don't do but that. I still wouldn't. I no, still wouldn't. I, I did that. That's, I've done that before and it's always a disaster. That's, then, that's exactly what I mean. Like yeah. that is literally a supported feature per Microsoft now because it's right there in the GUI, but I still would not trifle with it's, that. Enough stuff uses hard-coded paths or, or paths based on user user like they'll do user profile uh, you know, percent sign user profile percent sign slash oh, desktop dude, i hate i hate shell expansion in windows it's and so then, gross yeah and then it just doesn't work so anyway um so that's that um I, hang on I, I didn't even get to quiz you on oh, uh, yeah. the contents of app data let's see how much you've time you spent in your app data directory i have not i did not move anything you know, over from old app data to new app you, data have you have you ever figured out the difference between roaming local and local low yeah so roaming is uh for profiles that that you can move like if you have a if you theoretically are on a network where you're connected to active directory and you have a profile that is portable across pcs so you can log into any pc the roaming contents will move from PC to PC. Huh. The local is um, is uh, local to that local machine only, but high high security. And the local low is uh, the low security section for that. Ah, interesting. I did yeah. not know that. Like in, in practice, when you go through those directories, it really just feels like things are distributed randomly because like, especially especially with if you have a lot of games installed, because there will just be different games in each one of those without any particular rhyme or reason so it like it, in if everything was done the way it's intended your local your like local settings for, for like monitor resolution and stuff like that should be in local or local low and your save games should be in roaming but sure. in reality no home users use roaming profiles because they're a real pain in the ass to set up and nobody has an active directory controller on their home network so realistically you're not like those things. The other thing that's weird is that now a lot of applications like um like the uh, Electron applications, when they load, you get into um they, those save in either local or local low. I can't remember which one now. Yeah. So anyway, I, I'll say real quick, since just since we're talking about Windows drives, I guess we're probably going to move on. But uh, since I'm moving to a new PC, probably in mid January, it's looking mm -hmm. like and you just did. Uh, I've become a big believer in Clonezilla or, I mean, there are other imaging tools you can use as well. That one is I, just, yeah, I used it. That, that one is open source and freely available, so it's easy to get. But I guess what I should really say is I've become a big believer in just imaging my windows, my entire windows drive off to an external drive, not to necessarily do anything with, but just to have. Yeah. Like, like I, I, I fully intend to just do a clean ass clean install when I build a new machine, but like 
having all of those files, you know, game saves, configuration files, like you name it, like just having anything there on an external drive, you can just go pluck off and move over is, uh, is a, it's a good safety net. I feel like, yeah, it keeps you out of trouble. I just, I just image mine up to the NAS, my old, uh, well, so the old, the old gaming PC is now the streaming PC. The old streaming PC got imaged up to the NAS and, um, it's, I can open, I can pop open that image file really easily and grab stuff out of it. The, um, the portable apps thing is interesting um, because those just came over really nicely and it was super like my notepad plus plus config and all that stuff is yeah. all there ready to go. That's, that's exactly why I do everything portable that I can now. Yeah. You, you had said that about six months ago and I started doing that at that time and it's been, it was really, really good. Yeah. Um, and then the D drive I made the root has a folder for games where the local store for games on that drive lives. So like my Epic store folder is there. My, there's a, my main steam folder is there. Uh, UB, you, you play folder, um, origin. If I ever play a game on origin again, uh, and the windows games that come with game pass, but that windows install puts crap all over the drive, which really bums yeah. me out. So what you're describing, in fact, the windows and, and the game pass, the, the PC game pass install regime, which is such a mess. It's exactly what inspired me to make a games only drive. Yeah, and that's that's where those old SSDs come into play. I'm kind of I'm doing the same thing you are, except my, my SSDs are old and slow instead of your super nice fast ones. But I've got I've literally got like five old SSDs because they were all still good mm-hmm. and big enough that I just lashed them all together into one games drive. That's about a terabyte and a half. Um, But yeah, it's so many games installers are just doing what they want these days without a lot of control on the user side that I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to make a quarantine drive. All games get installed here. Whatever they want to do to this drive, like fine, just do it. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think I'm pretty sure Microsoft has relaxed some of that stuff. Cause remember like for a long time, you, I think you couldn't even like enter the install directories of, of PC game pass games and you definitely couldn't delete anything manually or mess with anything in there. So you can like now there's a folder called Xbox games under my D games folder and it has my game pass games in there and they're accessible. There's also a folder uh, called program files. And then there's a subfolder on that that's called modifiable windows apps, which is, I assume where you put game mods for those ga- Xbox game Pass games. Interesting. And oh yeah. I also have Xbox games. I see it here. Yeah. And then there's windows apps and WP system, uh, WP system I can get into. And there's what looks like the code for the Xbox game pass game I have installed. Yeah. Like the ID the ID and then windows apps. I'm not allowed to touch, which bums me out. I don't know. Oh, like wow. I have also dug deep into WP system here. <laughs> I'm seeing Microsoft.Dayton. What is Dayton? Like some of these are like build names or code or project code name. Yeah, what Dayton game do you have installed? Like Forza or Halo Dayton, or something? I wonder if Dayton might be State of Decay 2. Oh, probably, yeah. Here's one. Here's Gander. Sea of Thieves. Here's the Thrashball Cole character pack. <laughs> and anyway, point being, like I, I really think it's useful to just have a dedicated games drive these days because the install stuff has gotten so messy that it's like just here. Here's just a quarantine dump for all the stuff. That- well, I mean, kind of, except also everybody else was able to behave like Steam and Epic and UB and Origin and all that fit into one folder and constrain their nonsense to that. Sure. It's only Microsoft that craps up the whole drive. So maybe Microsoft Fair. should just get their shit together. That's that's entirely reasonable as well. Um, so other stuff on that drive, I have an Epic folder. And then I also did something new. So 
I made a root folder for podcasts for OBS stuff, like like which is where all the OBS overlays and graphics and images and stuff like that will live when I collect them all. Um, laser cutter projects, image editing, and I've made subfolders under there for like big projects, and then a various folder for small projects. Because the place that always breaks down is if I'm just doing like a quick image crop, I don't that doesn't need to be saved in like its own folder. It doesn't need to be part of the structure. It just needs to, I need a place to put crap. A so dumping I, ground. I built in dumping grounds and I I'm hoping that it sticks better this time. So we'll, we'll see. As, as I've, I've mentioned this before. I, I have, I have a similar directory called random, but it's just R and D because I have fully embraced the Unix hierarchy <laughs> style of a, like, like my audacity folder is called odd a U D. Oh no, that's that. That's too much. That's see. My podcast folder has an audacity recordings and an audition files folder underneath it. Fair. So I have, pro, I have proj for NAS projects. Of course, of course. <laughs> anyway. Um, um, so then everything gets backed up to backblaze that I haven't actually installed yet. I have to do that, but, I, but by having everything in this hierarchy, I can only, I cannot back up the games folders, right? Cause Previously, I've been backing up a, a terabyte of games every night, which seems unnecessary since I can just yes. download them from the services again. Probably faster than you could from Backblaze. Almost certainly. Um, I use Google Photos because our photos just go straight from the phones to Google Photos. Um, I have the cloud storage services for the different for Stray Bombay and for the podcast and for other for stream stuff. Um, the, having multiple having like it feels weird to me to have Google drive and Dropbox and OneDrive, but it, I think it's kind of unavoidable, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, different people use different services and you've got to collaborate and sometimes you get free storage. Yeah. On stuff. Like yeah. I just, I, I looked into some, some Dropbox upgrades a few years ago that I'm clinging to for dear life. And like Microsoft gave out a bunch of OneDrive storage at one point, you know? Yep. Um, and then, uh, the others, the NAS is where like deep storage is. So there's like yeah. some stuff I've ripped movies and music and TV shows backup of pre Google photos, home photos and videos, which are also in Google photos, uh, local back top back backups of laptops, the kiddos desktop and my stream PC. There's a huge Mr. Folder with ROMs and saves and stuff like that. that the Mr. Can mount over the network. And a public folder that's like the, hey, here's an easy way to get stuff from one computer to the other on, on the home network. Yeah. It, and that's it. shock you to hear that my NAS setup is almost identical to yours. <laughs> I have I have stuff split up into I have a data set for exclusively media, like things that are played by yeah. something. Yeah. So mu movies, music, ROMs, stuff like that. That's where the Mr. Mount lives. Uh, I have just like a giant bulk kind of dumping ground for anything backup ish. Okay. So like, like all of the tech pod projects from the beginning of time are there like backups of our iPhones. Um, how are you backing up your iPhone? Uh, so I haven't, those are not super currents. Okay. Uh, this, this was back from, in fact, they're old enough that I should probably just trash them. Actually, I, you know what I really need to do is look into one of those. I think most of them are Mac OS only like one of those, like kind of iPhone backup explorers that lets you like view all the iMessages in there and stuff oh, like that. Oh, it's like the iTunes backup that like that, yes, that, that one. That's, okay. That's, yes. That's what I was going to say. It's, it's from, and you you can still do it, but nobody does. It's, it's from when you did a manual local backup in iTunes of your iPhone and it would just generate a directory that could, you could restore to a phone. I've been doing, um, I've been doing iTunes. Like I've been, I've not done a clean install on iTunes for a long time because I didn't want to lose old text messages. 
Yes, that's kind of where I'm at. My my phone install is only four years old, I think. But that that's that's what I'm saying. I have backups from ten plus years ago, and I've mentioned this before. But you know, there's like text messages with people who are no longer with us in there that I would like to not lose and stuff like that. Um, data. What were we talking about? Um, uh, we I've got ta- like lots of system images in there, like all kinds of, you know, anything that is backup ish in nature. Um, I've actually, since I've been in like Linux land, configuring everything uh, by hand, um, you can set up Samba to accommodate time machine backups over the network. Oh, I've done that. That's how Gina's MacBook is backed up. Okay. It's great. That's that, that's on my list of things to do, but it looks a little bit like there's a decent amount of setup to that. So I haven't gotten around to it yet. Honestly, I wish I could do that with my iPad. Um, because like there's stuff on my iPad, most of the stuff that I use on my iPad is saved in Dropbox is where the work ends up. But I wish that there was a way to back up the kind of state of the machine locally without using I like, like, cause it takes a ton of iCloud space. Yes. That's that's just that iCloud storage is another thing we should talk about here. So I've never yeah. paid to upgrade iCloud storage because oh, I just never needed to see. We, we pay for a family plan because you, we can't up how you can't back up an iPhone with five gigabytes or whatever the default right. free is anymore. I kind of, I kind of just don't think about phone backups that much. I probably should. Um, the main thing though is I just never took enough pictures and videos to fill up the space. Well, we take. Uh, I mean, yeah, we take a lot of pictures. That, that's that's what I'm saying. That's why I don't. But so I have just finally filled up that five gigabytes in the last three four months. So you should just do a family thing, probably, I, and you we probably you should, should share because it's it, it the the family thing. The nice thing about the family thing is you. So we honestly we. Apple, we get Apple music and storage and Apple TV and arcade for less than the storage would have cost. Cause that's how they get you. Yeah. I mean, even without a family plan, it's stupid cheap. It's like 99 cents a month to go to 50 gigabytes instead of five. Yeah. The, the bigger thing for me though, is that I don't know that I love the way that stuff like photos works with iCloud. It's all pretty confusing to me. And but, I've, I've, I have just as, I, I feel like I'm just as likely to uh, just turn off photo sync in iCloud instead. Like I, I hate the, I hate the whole, like, are these photos actually on my phone or am I viewing like cloud oh. photo, like thumbnails of cloud photos that like, like, I hate not knowing where the physical files are. And that's why I'm, and the other thing is the Dropbox. I don't know if you have this set up Dropbox. You can configure to just automatically sync all your photos and videos off your phone as well. Yeah. I'd fill my Dropbox in like 15 minutes if I did okay, that. Okay, So yeah, this is, again, this is just a situation of you have way, way, way more photos than I do. But yeah. The, the, um, like, like I, I just the, the iCloud stuff is just fiddly enough with that that kind of uncertainty that I had had thought about like just not syncing stuff like photos and using Dropbox for that instead. So I actively dislike how iCloud works yeah, for photos. So that's, that, that's that's exactly what I'm getting at. Um, it's really hard to pull your photos out of iCloud if you don't have a Mac. Right. Um, I I that's why I use Google Photos. Okay, that that makes sense. And so, like, I I actually went and hit the toggle on the phone to stop syncing photos to iCloud at one point and yeah. <laughs> give you this ominous warning of like I, f- I forget what the phrasing is, but it's something along the lines of like, okay, your photos will no longer be backed up to the cloud. You have thirty days to retrieve them. Something, something. Hey, dipshit! Like, you're gonna lose all of your precious right. memories. Yeah. Right. And it's like they don't make it super clear, like, OK, what is the best way to make sure I get everything that's up there before you delete it all? Because I don't want to use this service anymore because it's stupid. I have read how it works multiple times. I still don't really understand it. It's it's designed like like the clearly the thing that they've done is they've designed it to not ever lose photos for people who don't understand how to back stuff up. Right. But for people who understand how to back stuff up, it's really fucking confusing. 
So, so like you said, it, it, it varies depending on if you're on Mac OS or not. If you are, my understanding is if you turn off that iCloud sync, it will automatically download everything into the Photos app in Mac OS. Yeah. Which is one way to do it. But even then, I don't know, is, is that are those are the raw files just available at that point or are they still abstracted into some kind of like proprietary database format that I can't get to? Like I, it's it's all not great. Yeah, I, if you're if you're the type of obsessive data nerd that we are, I mean, the nice thing about Google Photos is you can just you can hit it from your Google Drive, even I believe, and pull the yeah. files out from that. Um, also, there's stuff like our clone, which we haven't really used yet, but we're going to talk about in an upcoming episode because it's, yeah. it's really neat. I, I started to bring that up um, when we were talking about cloud services earlier. I installed it. I just haven't had a chance to hook anything up to it. But our clone is a, a command line utility uh, that basically hooks into like every cloud storage service you can possibly think of. Like, like, there's like from Dropbox to S3 and yeah, Amazon S3, like Backblaze, Backblaze yeah. Dropbox, like all of the Google services, including like photos and cloud storage, um, Azure blob storage, mega. I love a good Azure for, blob just for the record. For, for, for all of your legitimate uses of mega, it supports that. Yandex disk, like WebDAV. I mean, what's like, it's just Tencent cloud object storage. Like it, it takes literally everything, like a bunch of Oracle stuff. Yeah. But also consumer stuff that normal people would yeah. use. Yeah. Next cloud, own cloud. Like it is command line and I have not really messed with it much yet. And DreamHost is on here. Cloudflare R2, <laughs> DigitalOcean Spaces. Uh, the point is you can like go through the auth process and hook all of these cloud services up to this one command line tool. Um, well, and then it has, and then it, has it lets you script of, your backups and stuff like that is the idea, right? Yeah. It has a bunch of built in, like it's right there in the pitch at the top of like in the, in the about our clone has powerful cloud cloud equivalents to the Unix commands, rsync, CP, MV, mount, LS, NCDU, tree, RM and cat. So it's like, if you want to just have command line access to like every cloud service that you own all in one place, it seems pretty awesome for that. Uh, but we'll talk about it more after I've messed with it. So yeah, I, I'm going to, I think I'm going to use it. Like I'm a little anxious about having all of my photos, my family photos, because both Gina and I sync our photos there stored someplace that like, if I stop paying for it, they'll go away. But that's, that's another part of the iCloud stuff that I like. I don't, it's again, it's not that 99 cents a month is like breaking the bank. It's just this, it's more of this paranoia, like you said about like. It's like, what it's if I get hit by a bus and I'm in the hospital for a month right. and forget about the miss the miss the credit card 30, changeover the, or something? Right. Like yeah. the 30 day 30. Like it literally is like 30 days and they just delete everything. Like it's just it's just too fiddly and too hands off for my taste. Yeah. Um, anyway, like our clone would make something like like dealing with a tech pod. You know, like we share we share podcast files or the FOSPod, and like I run a script to encode the FOSPod into audio and video for YouTube. Yeah. And I could just I could run that script against uh, presumably through our clone against the, the cloud file instead of having to manually move stuff around. It seems neat. So what am I doing wrong, Brad? I guess is oh, the gosh. question. Everything. No, um, I, everything sounds pretty reasonable. Like I said, I mean, like our NAS philosophies seem pretty similar. Um, our local storage stuff seems pretty similar. Our clouds. I think we're, we're pretty in sync on a lot of this stuff. Mm. Um, what's your backup? What's your NAS backup stuff? Like, like, like backblaze for desktop is fine. Cause it's a, just a flat fee. Oh to yeah. Back up everything. Yeah. But when you get into, um, when you get into bulk storage. So I have a real big hard drive that I plug in every once in a while and run a backup oh. script on it. Okay, sure. That's it's, one way to go. It's not a great, I'm about to out, outgrow that hard drive though, which is a problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I don't know what I'm going to do after that. I wish that um, I could hook back. I like, I would happily pay 
Like in a perfect world, what I would do, I, what I used to do was back up the NAS. I used to back up everything in the house to the NAS and then back up the NAS. That's yes. That's, that's kind of the way to go to for me, I think. But is, it's, there's no easy way to backblaze the NAS and the people that used to do the, the people that used to run the true NAS plugin or free NAS plugin back then that let you back back. They don't do consumer backups anymore. So I don't know yeah. what I'm going to do. Well, back backblaze changed their pricing so that you can't back up network volumes with the flat rate anymore. You have to pay by the gigabyte, which gets very expensive. Yeah. Um, so I, I, it's not functional right now, but my, my NAS backup plan regimen mm-hmm. is I have a separate volume down the hall hooked up to a Raspberry Pi. Okay. And the NAS, this is how it was working before I rebuilt everything. I just need to set it back up. And the NAS syncs to that every night. Oh, okay. So overnight just, and, and it's incremental. So it's very fast. If, if very little data has changed, then very little data gets transferred over the network. Um, uh, that used to be a couple of Western digital elements, just what you like 20 drives. terabyte elements or something. Uh, they were 10 each. Okay. Yeah. Plugged into uh, the pie. Anyway, I've bought a little four bay USB enclosure that I've shut the drives into now. And I bought a couple more elements and okay. put them in there, but that thing's nice. Like if the house is on fire and I, you can just grab it. I can't grab the whole NAS, but this little four bay USB thing is you can easily tuck it under your arm, <laughs> run out the door. Cause clearly that's the only thing. Yeah. I would try to save from a burning house. Um, but, uh, and then I'm, I am, I am kind of into this three, two, one backup philosophy. The, that have three, three locations for your data to local one cloud. Okay. I, I um, mean, I like, like, like really the stuff that's on my NAS that's irreplaceable is the, is the home photos and stuff like yeah, that. So like I can re-rip discs and realistically, if they go away, it's not the end of the world, but like, exactly. So Yeah. Um, I have been looking at this for the last couple of years and just putting it off and never really getting into it, but getting our clone set up, I think is the thing that's going to finally push me over the edge because like I said, it hooks into stuff like, uh, Amazon S3 and Glacier and, and the Azure blob storage, which are very deep, long-term archival cloud services where it's very cheap to store a large amount of data. Like, like it dollars only, a terabyte per month. Yeah. Yes. Like. It only gets expensive if you ever need to retrieve the data, which at that point, something catastrophic has happened and you're probably willing to pay the money to get it back anyway. Yeah. So I have like, like you said, I've got tons of old photos, like all all of our old home movies are digitized now on there. Like, I mean, also, you know me, like every week I'm finding something else on there from my past. That's (laughs) I'm sure you have like an elementary school project saved there somewhere. It's, you know, like I'd like all of pretty much all of my college work is floating around in there in various places. That's like stuff like that is, is amusing. But anyway, like it's not that much data. So it's like maybe 500 gig of stuff that is like actually truly sentimentally irreplaceable. And so yeah. I'm thinking I'm probably going to use our clone to sync that up to like uh, S3 Glacier. Is Glacier part of S3? Glacier is a is a, a is type of S3 container. Okay. So okay. S3 is like all of their main storage. There's different storages for application use and stuff like that. That's like more connected to EC2 instances or other types of server instances. But yeah, Glacier is, is just basically deep storage ranging from, Hey, we can have your data in a couple of milliseconds or a few hundred milliseconds to, Hey, we can have your data 12 hours from now, depending on how much you want to pay per gigabyte. Right. So I probably would go to the absolute cheapest version of that. Yeah. That it's just legacy sentimental stuff. So if I lost it all and I needed to, and I 
had to wait a day to get it back. Like fine. Well, and the nice thing uh, about that is if you're just buying like a terabyte, I, I think I looked at the pricing of the day and the storage is like, it was literally like three or four bucks yeah. a terabyte per month. Right. And, and that's enough that I would just prepay like, you know, prepay a few years. Right. So I'm like not, the, not as worried about it. Yeah. If, if that's the price then I'm probably looking at like two bucks a month to keep that up there. And that, yeah. that seems appealing yeah. to me. Yep. Um, let's see. A couple other miscellaneous notes I made before we started here. You, you pointed out, uh, going back to the game stuff, is it actually called storage manager? This new fee- feature in steam that sounds like it came about due to the steam deck. It's, um, yeah. So it's, if you, you can find it, if you open up your steam settings and go to downloads and click the steam libraries folder button, steam library folders button at the top of that page, there's now this new UI that lets you see based on which drive you're on, uh, what, you know, what, what, what games are stored on which drive and you can select multiples and move them all together rather than have to do them individually, which is super duper nice. It turns yeah, this out. This is an incredibly better interface than they had before. Yep. It's really good. Highly recommend it. Um, th- this is the first place I saw this was on the steam deck. So yeah, I think this was a okay. steam deck feature that's getting, like, I think they're gradually bringing over the steam deck UI into the main I, steam interface. If I, was, I had to guess, I was going to say like as, as a, as not an owner of a steam deck, my favorite thing about the steam deck so far is all the features that are trickling down to desktop steam. Yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah, this is this is a great way to see everything you've got installed, move stuff between install. You can locations. uninstall like I installed a bunch of once I found this, I was able to uninstall all the games from the old PC in like two minutes, which was awesome. Yeah, a bunch of sorting options as well. So you can sort and just bulk uninstall stuff. Here's a question. So forth. Here's a question for you, Brad. What do you do about scratch space for applications like Photoshop and affinity and stuff like that, that want scratch space on the disc? So that's, that's one of the reasons I was saying I like to keep the C drive for just system stuff that I don't know about and put all of things like game installs on a separate drive is exactly that reason. It's like, okay, I don't know how much like temp file space windows needs or swap or et cetera, et cetera these days. And for, so it like any, any application like that, that needs space just has it there on the system drive. And I don't have to think about it for, for me. I, that, I mean, that's why I only keep like two games on that drive. Right. Like right. that's not, I'm not going to, if I end up in a situation where I look at, at the, my computer and it's like, Hey man, you got uh 50 gigs free or a hundred gigs free on this, on this two terabyte drive. I've really messed up. Yeah, for sure. So, so I, I routinely am around 50 to hundred gig free on my C drive, but mine is way smaller than yours. Like once you're at a, once you're at a two terabyte system drive, like you, you can certainly get a little looser about what you put on there. I think I'll be, look, that's eight war zones, Brad. I, man, that's a, that's a lot of war zones. I can fit I, all the war zones. Mm-hmm. I am very excited about building a new PC. <laughs> talking, talking to you about this stuff. I am like, one of the nice things about waiting so long is that when you finally get there, it's just that much sweeter. It's going to be so fast. You're going to not know what to do with yourself. I really am not. Um, I think my last question for you. Yes. How do you float directories that you want to be at the top to the top? What's what is your naming scheme for making a directory that you should should be at the top of a list to be at the top of the list? I that has never even occurred to me. Wait, you don't do that. I just sort everything by recent. Interesting. Well, I either sort by recent or alphabetical. You don't, you don't do like an AAA underscore. No, God, no, that would make me a, crazy. Wait, really? Yeah. Huh? Okay. I'm not saying I do it everywhere, but occasionally you want a directory to appear right at the top. I, I wow. traditionally, I traditionally have been an exclamation mark at the front of the name person. That's madness to make it, to make it float to the top. It's usually a temporary thing. 
Wow. No, I, um, I, I, I almost all folders are sorted by modified date, modified, uh, root folders. Like my D drive is sorted by, uh, is sorted alphabetically. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that works fine in file explorer, of course. I mean, it's more like command line where things are. This may shock you, but I don't use the command line that often. Oh man, you should, you should rediscover it. It's a good time. Anyway, I, I've always been an exclamation mark, but now that I'm doing a lot of command line. Now you have, you have to escape the exclamation mark, which is a pain. So I'm thinking about moving to AAA. Well, I just tab complete everything up. I'm command lining too. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I do too. I do too, but you still have to think about it. So that's it. That's our storage strategies. Please tell us how we're wrong. The The big thing I have to do now is collect all my OBS overlays on both PCs, like all the files referenced. I wish that there was a tool. I know I know that when we had Jim on the FOSPOD, he talked about that being an upcoming yeah. feature. Yes. He's talked about like an export manager for profiles and scenes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but it's it's not in yet. And I want to go ahead and do it now while I'm thinking about it. It's, it's front of mind. It, it seems like the way to go would be to just make an OBS like assets folder at the root of a drive. And then anytime you're on a new machine, just move that. Cause then, then you don't have to worry about relative paths if it's always at the root. Well, I mean, and the thing is OBS has a good tool. If you load up a profile and it doesn't see the files, it, it can't find the files. It'll say, Hey, where are these files? And you can point it at a folder and it'll go through and search and find them all. Assuming right. the file names are right. So, so like, Getting them all in one place so they're easily movable is the is the key, and then ma- and then having the discipline to save new stuff in those folders is the is the secondary key. Sure. So anyway, um, that that's that is I think that's an episode, Brad. Yeah, storage. Yeah, as always, uh, we want to thank our patrons because uh, we the TechPod is a hundred percent listener supported show. We wouldn't be here without you all. So thank you, patrons. It is true. Thank you very much, patrons. Uh, and if you would like to find out how you can get on the patron supporting train, you can go to patreon.com slash tech pod. Again, that's patreon.com slash tech pod. And for as little as $2 a month, you can gain access to the fabulous tech pod discord, uh, which is full of beautiful nerds, just like you. Yes. If you made it through the body horror cold open and a bunch of nerds talking about the storage stuff, you will probably like it on the discord. I'm, I'm going to guess. Yeah. Uh, and uh, as always, we want to thank our executive producer to your patrons, including Nick Johnston, Paddle Creek Games, makers of Fractured Vale, Andrew Slosky, Bunny Thorpe Couch Sleep Crimes. No change since last week, I think. Just Wedge, Joel Krauska, Twinkle Twinkie, and James Kamick. Thank you all so, so much. We appreciate you. Yes, we do. And um, that'll just about do it for us this week. We Let's see. Next week, I think we're going to have a special guest on the show. Yeah, so, it's exciting. Yeah, somebody who's not been back for a returning special guest. Even mm-hmm. we have we had yes, we've only had one returning guest. I think right. I think that's right. This 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 guest may be the most appearingest guest we've had. Yeah. Now. Well, like it's like in terms of number of people, number of times they've been on the show, it's you and me tied mm-hmm. for number one. I think. <laughs> uh huh. And then this person. Yes. And then a bunch of people tied for number three. So, although I want to get Mike Micah back on to talk about Atari Fifty sometime because. Yes, that would be great. Yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been, I like, I'm still enjoying the heck out of that. Uh, but we will see you all next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a lovely week.